What is up, Hellraisers? It's time for another episode of Renegades Roundup, brought to you on Anchor and Stitcher and Radio Public, Google, just about everything we can possibly get our hands on. And we're also applying to Apple Podcasts. It's a little bit of an involved process, but we're getting there. And we're also broadcasting this particular episode live on Facebook. Yes, we are. So if you want to find us at facebook.com slash Roundup. You can find us over there as well. For those of you new to the program, my name is Zach. I'm very excited to have you ready to uh, rustle up some dragons after we just finished rustling up the Wildcats last week. Yeah, we tamed them, man. We we brought them down in their home stadium, which always feels really nice. And uh, to uh, to help me talk about it, you heard his voice a little bit here, but it's my buddy, my partner, Joe Scanlon. Yes, sir. How's it going, everybody? And... Uh... Excited to be here and excited to be with you back in Arlington. You know, you know, Arlington's a funny place. You know, a lot of people want to get out, but you really don't know how good you have it until you leave. And this is, let me tell you, I'm really happy to be back. Very even, happy. Even if it's just for a short bit, it's it's given us, days. <laughs> it's given us an opportunity to actually do the show live together. Last week we called in on Skype and we were just shooting the breeze a couple hundred miles away, but yeah, been able fun. to do it a couple of feet away. That's really fun. Advances in modern technology are amazing. It is really cool. It is really, really cool. But it's also cool to be able to do this in person, to be able to do it live for you guys here. Uh, we got a couple of uh, computer setups here. So if we're looking like we're looking down on the screen, we're just looking at our notes. But we're also going to try and looking at you, looking at each other. It's a, it's a different thing to be doing a video podcast because you're, you're, you're trying to bring stuff across to the audience that's listening, but also trying to bring it across to people that are viewing. So should be fun. But, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of kicked this off last week, and it's been really well-received, this concept of six in the chamber. Uh, it's, it's built off of the idea of having uh, six rounds in an old Western revolver. And uh, so for those of you new to the program, we're going to be putting six things um, in the chamber, and we'll see what we can do from there. Uh, there's different elements here that are going to uh, be a part of this program. We're going to be looking at stuff around the league. We're going to be looking at last week's game. We're going to be looking at uh, some of the stat reports from the season. We're going to do a player profile. We're going to be scouting our next opponent that's coming up this weekend. And we're going to be looking at what our predictions and such are going to be. So all that to come here on this episode of Renegades Roundup. And let's just go ahead and kick things off by taking a look at chamber number one. Chamber number one is just a look around the league, and we'll just start with some of the scores that we had from last week's action. Uh, one of the biggest profiles would probably be Cardale Jones's performance for the Cardale D.C. Jones. Defenders, and not to mention the Defenders' defense pitching the first shutout in the brief history of the XFL, a 27 to nothing final. Yeah, that uh, the defense for the defenders just staunch. Matt McGloin didn't look comfortable the whole you know half he was out there. Of course, we all know by now he uh, had some choice words for his coaching, for his teammates, and that's part of the reason why he ended up on the bench the second half, not to mention the fact he had, what, two interceptions? Mm-hmm. And a whole, I think his passer rating ended up being like 20, which is, <laughs> that's not good, folks. Uh, it's not good at all. Uh, it's it's really really interesting to to look at different players' way of responding to adversity because you take a look at what happened to McGloin and then you take a look at the first half that Landry Jones put out in Dallas's game and you know the access that the media has to the players on the sideline as soon as something good or something bad happens is one of the unique aspects of this league and you know McGloin was throwing interceptions in that first half. Landry Jones was throwing interceptions in the first half of the Dallas game. And you take a look at the responses between those two different players. Really shows you the, the character that you have under pressure. Not just the character that you have as a person, but the character you have under pressure. McGloin was obviously upset. And obviously, he, yeah. he seemed to be taking it out almost on the reporter, which is something you just should not do as an athlete. As a reporter, we don't want it to be taken out on us. No, we, we're just here to do a job, and uh, and we don't want to hear about you know how bad your how bad your day's been, and we don't want your ire directed towards us. It's not our fault you threw two interceptions, right. so don't get mad at us. Right. That's that's exactly it. Um, so, the, again, Cardale Jones had a really good game. The, the defense had a really solid game. And, you know, the Guardians, even though they're 1-1 one one now, 
just because they got Tampa Bay in the first week, the way that they've played in these first two weeks makes me feel like if they had drawn any other team in week one, they might be 0-2. Yeah, I got that same feeling, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna call out uh, my first fraud alert. I oh. think I think the Guardians are frauds. I think they had that great week because uh, the Vipers are you know as bad as the Guardians looked last week. The Vipers have looked even worse the last two weeks, and so I'm gonna say the Guardians aren't very good. And uh, uh, you know, just uh, see where it goes from here. You know, two weeks, still a lot of left in the season, but you know, you just you work with it. You see how you play each week, and. McGloin, you know, I don't know what I have more we need to hit on the head. We that, we but, really yeah. we really don't. Let's 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 take a look at the other game. This this is a pretty important one for us looking ahead to this particular week. Uh, the opening day at CenturyLink Field in Seattle, the Dragons drew over thirty thousand people, and those fans got loud. It, it sounded like a Seahawks game on my TV. It sounded extremely loud, and it basically carried their team to a seventeen to nine victory against Tampa Bay, which. When you take a look at how Tampa played against D.C. last week, 17-9 doesn't sound all that impressive, but I can't help but wonder if Tampa was able to turn a couple of things around in its second week of action. You're not relying so much on Aaron Murray as you are just the offense as a unit, and I think that helped them a little bit, was instead of relying on one person putting all the pressure on him, they kind of spread the responsibilities out a little bit and kind of clamped down on defense. It was a little bit of a better performance from Tampa, but Seattle still was able to pull it out. Yeah, and I don't know if I like that split time at quarterback for for Tampa. And I mean, that's just Eric Tressman doing Eric Tressman things. Yeah. But uh, you know, I think the way Taylor Cornelius looked, I mean, not not good. And uh, you have Quentin Flowers. He was a stud, you know, at South Florida. And uh, you know. Let give him the give him the rock. Let him start next week. Let him go as far as he can because I think they look better under him than they did under Cornelius. It was an interesting experiment, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do with for their next game. But you know, going into Seattle is always a tough test, no matter which league you're playing in. And Dallas has that challenge next week, so we got a pretty good preview of what to expect. But the interesting thing is, it's been cloudy and cold and rainy here in the Dallas area for the last four or five days or so. Can't help but wonder if the football gods have been giving Dallas some good weather to prepare for their game on the road. Oh, that that would make a lot of sense uh, there, Zach. Uh, Seattle not known for their beautiful weather. <laughs> well, it's going to be interesting weather. It's going to be an interesting environment, but we'll get to that in just a second here. we got one more game on tap before we start looking at uh, our Dallas Renegades, and that's the other Texas team, Houston Roughnecks, getting two home games to open the year, winning both of them, but this one by a much narrower margin than they had against L.A. last week, only beating the St. Louis BattleHawks by four points, 28-24. to 24. And if you uh, talk to Houston fans on Twitter, you would think they blew out the BattleHawks by 30 <laughs> because they are very, very confident. Uh, they're picking some fights with some other XFL fans. They are. And, and I wouldn't be too, too cocky because the BattleHawks, you know, they beat – the Renegades first week. Yep. But that was just a defensive slugfest. I feel like both offenses were trying to, you know, get their get their rhythm going, you know, find themselves since the first week, mm-hmm. jitters, all that. This week, uh, Tamu looked solid in he that did. second half. He Brought did. them back, lose by four. That's that's pretty good. And so, uh, you know, if I'm Houston, maybe they took their foot off the gas. But if if they were still playing up, and the BattleHawks were able to come back on you, you know, you're not, you know. The greatest team in the land. You're, you're not, not. You're not. You know, the New England Patriots. So. <laughs> well, I, I think the one thing that was really special about this game was St. Louis was able to find some of the weaknesses in Houston's offense and defense. You know, I, I think the the pass defense for St. Louis was really good and was able to stifle some of what was going on in um, in Houston's air raid attack. And I, I think their their run offense was what was carrying them in last week's game against Dallas. And I think they found some stuff through the passing game that kind of picked apart some of Houston's secondary. So I can't help but wonder if the defense is going to have to kind of revamp itself a little bit in preparation for upcoming games. Because it seems to be that while the league is trying to be offensive-focused, Defense has been the story these first couple of weeks, being able to make some defensive stops, making some defensive plays, 
it, it's going to be interesting to see if Houston's defense is going to be able to be comparable to the offense in the long run. It's done okay the first couple of weeks. I'm not sure how sustainable it is. Yeah, I uh, I'll agree with you there, Zach. Really, nothing more I can uh, to add to that. You kind of just hit it right on the head there. Well, yeah. DC and Houston are in the last remaining undefeated. Both of them moving to two and zero. With the results of the rest of the games, you know, Seattle won their game. They're now one and one. New York lost, so they're now one and one. Uh, St. Louis looked good, and if they had played anybody else week two, they probably would have gone to two and zero. I agree. So there, there's still quite a bit of parity around the league. You've got two undefeateds, two winless, and four teams right in the middle at one and one, including our Dallas Renegades. So let's go ahead and look at this last game as we go into chamber number two. Chamber number two takes a look at Dallas's 25 to 18 victory against the LA Wildcats in Carson, California. We finally got a Renegades touchdown. Yeah, we got three finally, Renegades touchdowns, man. Finally got into the end zone, and you would not believe the kind of celebrations I saw on social media. Oh. There was a watch party at Texas Live, which is the official watch party for the Dallas Renegades, by the way. They've got special promotions out there at Texas Live. Anytime Dallas is away, you go check out Texas Live, and they'll be able to set you up with some really cool stuff and just hang out with other Hellraisers. So... Be sure to check that out. But there was a lot of celebration happening there. There was like some social media posts of like people, you know, taking videos of their TV. Like, this is it. This is the first touchdown in history of the franchise. Right. And it's so funny that the the organization pitched itself as an air raid offense, and the first touchdown for the franchise came on the ground. Yes, sir. Cameron Artis Payne. Uh, ran that one in, and honestly, I was watching it up in Oklahoma, and I, I saw him take it around the end, and I was like, "Oh, oh, okay, he's got, he's got, he's got some momentum. He's mm-hmm. going, he's going." And yep. then he got yep. right up to that goal line, and I was like, "No way, we just scored." That was that was <laughs> that was an unbelievable feeling, it, it, and it, it's it's something I've never felt before. Like you've never been like, "Wow, when are we gonna score a touchdown?" How you know? excited do you get about scoring touchdowns? Like obviously. When you're when you're watching like your team that's been around for a long time, you know you and I are both Longhorns fans, you know Cowboys fans in the area. Yeah. You get excited when your team punches it in for six. Yeah. But I think it's a whole other feeling when your team punches it in for six for the very first, first time. time. The very first time. It took them six quarters. Like that's better late than never. <laughs> better late but, than never. But the Renegade social media team was awesome. Being able to put it out there, being like a, a halftime poll. It was like, what do we want in the second half? And it was like option number one, touchdown. Option number two, more field goals. Option number three, seriously, touchdowns. I saw another post. Uh, someone said, you know, I really hope the Renegades run the the play called touchdown. Or, <laughs> run the touchdown play. Run the <laughs> touchdown route. So do something. <laughs> Yeah, um, but, you know, Cameron R.S. Payne, you know, on top of the first score in Renegades history, first touchdown, he had another one, mm-hmm. and then 14 carries and 99 yards to lead the league for the week, and, you know, that's an average of about seven seven point something yards a carry. But for, like you said, an offense that's built on the air raid, the run game saw it. It worked out really, really well. A lot better than I was expecting it to, if I'm being honest. Nothing against R.S. Payne. It's just when you've got targets like Parham and Hurd and Bidette being thrown to from someone like Landry Jones, you're just expecting it to be uh, as similar to what you saw when he was throwing it around at Oklahoma. You expect yeah. it to be similar to what we saw a little bit last week when Nelson was doing some of those dump-offs to people like Dunbar in the slot and just trying to get out there, get some freedom, get some space. And they really just got things going on the ground, which set up the deep ball several times, including a lot of targets towards Parham. I think he had 11 targets on the night, hauled it in five times for uh, 76 yards, which led the team. But I think that's a testament to how balanced the uh, passing game is. Because if Parham led the team with 76 yards, but Landry Jones threw it around for 305, that means there was some balance receiving across the board when they were tossing it downfield. Well, if you look at the stats, you know, there were four receivers with at least five targets. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's, you know, this is straight air raid. And that's straight, you know, you know, making Landry Jones put the ball where he needs to. 
And I'll be honest, you know, first half, he did not put it in the right spots. In no, fact, he didn't. He, uh, he, threw he, it he put right it in the arms of somebody else. He, I, I, I'm not going to say anything, but I'm going to say something. He hit him right in the chest. So, I mean, <laughs> that's 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 kind of – I don't think the dude even moved. He just took it for an just, interception. Just, just sitting there waiting for it. Like, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> if I miss this, I'm running after the game. Yeah. And going back to, you know, the way he was accountable for it, I think he mm-hmm. – I don't, I don't know if this is an exact quote, but he pretty much said to the reporter, yeah, I suck right now. And he, yeah. he changed it. He went into halftime mm-hmm. and he changed it. And that's the beauty of Landry Jones. And that's why I think he's going to be the quarterback that the, the Renegades need to win a division, to win the whole thing. Because he's the guy who, when he knows he's doing bad, he will fix it. He will yeah. try to fix it. Yeah. And he will work with his coaches. And, you know, and that's the kind of guy you need as a leader on the team. I agree. I agree. And, again, going back to a comparison between him and McGloin, McGloin was talking about – you know, when when he's mic'd up, he was talking to somebody on the sideline like, "This is the worst game I've ever played," or something like that. But when you when you when you look at the way Jones was approaching it, he was just saying, "Let's call a spade a spade." I wasn't playing very well, yeah. and then he was able to go into the locker room, like you said, talk to his coach, his old ball coach that he's been with for years now, yeah. and they were able to do something in that ten minutes to be able to look at it and say, "Okay, we're going to do something different," and they did. And I believe both of his picks were in the first half, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, so both, so both of his picks were in the first half, and he had no picks in the second half and a touchdown pass. So that second half really, really started to click. And what's really funny is I took a look at some of the league-leading stats. Landry Jones is back one week. One week. Oh, no. And the man is already vaulted himself into the top five passing leaders on the season for quarterbacks. 305 yards puts him at that number five spot from one week of play. Now, granted, people like Cardale Jones are at the top of that list, but I think that's a testament to his play and to the, the offensive scheme that they had. And I think it's a testament to... Potentially some of the other quarterback play that we were mentioning to earlier, that we were alluding to before, there are some quarterbacks that are still struggling to get into their groove. They're still trying to figure out who they are and where they fit into the offensive scheme. And Landry Jones, he had an extra week to prepare. He was third on the depth chart. He could have played, but they chose to let him rest. He could have played, but he's been practicing. He had an extra week to practice to get himself healthy, get himself ready. And I think during that second half, it really showed. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, uh, you know, on L.A.'s side of the ball for this game, you know, Josh Johnson making his first start Mm -hmm. of the season. Mm -hmm. You know, 18 for 34, 196 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. That's not terrible. No, it's not. It's not terrible. And he had a really nice hookup with uh, Nelson Spruce to bring that game within, uh, what was it, seven. Uh, Late in the game. like It got really close. Late in the fourth. And I I remember we were up. We were up. it's, you know, two scores, I don't remember the exact number, but no, I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, game over, we went. We they, were, they I think just, we were up 10, up and, 10 yeah. and they got nine. Yeah. The first successful three-point conversion in the XFL yeah. goes to the Wildcats against the Renegades in the fourth quarter yeah. to make it a one-point game, and honestly, I was just on the edge of my seat after that. I was like, we cannot give this away. We have worked too hard. We have done too much. We cannot be botching this now. No. We cannot. <laughs> and here's, here's the other thing that I was worried about. More so than giving up a lead, I was more concerned with the prospect of going 0-2 in a 10-game season. To, yeah, to lose To lose that kind of momentum. Mm-hmm. You know, Johnson was talking at the end of the game about how they need to bounce back and stuff like that. You don't have a whole lot of time to bounce you gotta back. you got to bounce back next week. You really kind of have to bounce back next week. You kind of have to go to 1-2 to in next week's game, otherwise falling into an 0-3 hole means your likeliness of making that two-team playoff oh, yeah. is damn near impossible. Yeah, no, there's if you go 0-3, you're you might as well just pack it up and send it all home because you're not you're not making the playoffs unless by some miracle you go on a seven-game winning streak and everyone else and you know, somebody else yeah somebody else goes like six and four and you just barely edge them out last week of the year. Like it's it, it would definitely be a really really tough uphill battle, and I think that's one of the most interesting aspects of uh, this this upcoming week for both Tampa Bay and Los Angeles is they really kind of have to figure out a way to get it together, if you will, 
And Tampa doesn't really have it that much easy. They've got to play Houston. And guess who the Wildcats have got to play next week? Oh, no. Do they got to play Cardell Jones? they got to play <laughs> Cardell Jones and the D.C. Defenders. That's not good. So both 0-2 squads are playing both of the 2-0 and squads. That's not good. It is really shaping up to be a tough road to hoe for both of those teams. And it'll be interesting to see where we go from here. Like you said, Nelson Spruce had a pretty good game. Six receptions for 89 yards and two touchdowns, including that big hookup down the middle. I feel like their offense was better this week than it was last week. I definitely saw some improvements from from what they were putting up against uh, against Houston. Because in that second half, they just kind of fell apart. They, they didn't exist they, in the second half. They did not fall apart in the second half under Johnson's leadership. But the problem was, I don't think L.A.'s defense was keeping up with the pace of Dallas's offense. Because there were a couple of times Dallas got into the red zone in the second half where you could hear, uh, what's his name, Mum? Yeah, Mum. Yeah. He was calling, let's go, let's go, let's go. He was like, get up to the line, get up to the line. He wanted that pace. He wanted to get L.A. winded. And I think it worked out because I really don't think, especially their front seven, I don't think L.A.'s front seven was prepared for the athleticism of Dallas's front line. And that's what allowed Artis Payne to run all over them. That's what allowed them to pick up steam in the second half yep. was their momentum just kept carrying them to a point where L.A. had their backs against the wall more times than they were comfortable with. Yeah, I agree. If they keep that pace uh, going, especially next week in Seattle, mm-hmm. uh, who's, who's, we'll talk more about it, but, you know, just straight up their defense, you know, not about the same as L.A.'s, maybe a little better. I think, you know, they could they could dominate. I, I, I would tend to agree. I, I mean, I liked the defensive performance that I saw against Tampa Bay, but come on, it was Tampa Bay. It was Tampa Bay. Yeah. It was Tampa Bay. You, you only give up nine points to Tampa Bay. I mean, okay. If somebody like St. Louis has only given up nine points to Dallas like they did last week, they're on a little bit more high alert. Let's give credit where it's due because for Houston to only put up 28 points in a game, that's actually pretty low by a June Jones standard. Exactly. So I, I still think that St. Louis's defense is pretty good, and they have an opportunity to pick things up. The problem is they're going to be going up against D.C., and I feel like it's going to potentially be St. Louis and D.C. for the East. Yeah. Given the way Tampa Bay has played the first couple of weeks, given the, given the way New York fell apart last week, I think we're setting ourselves up for a D.C.-St. Louis playoff game, and I'm going to stick to my guns. And say, given the way things have gone these first couple of weeks, the West is going to be won in the state of Texas. I agree. Yep, I agree. I still hold true to that still, statement. That still I'm, a great take. I, I still hold true to that, and I'm going to hold true to that this entire season. But the game against Seattle is going to be a pretty good tell if they're going to be a contender in this Western Conference. Because if they can hold the home turf, they have to play everybody in the West at home at least once. If they can go 4-0 at home then they have a really, really good chance of having a decent record overall going into playoff season. I agree. I agree. So I'm going to call an audible, Zach. All righty. I'm going to call an audible. You know, we normally talk about stats. Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. we covered a lot of that in the second half. I think we should, in the second uh, chamber, my bad. Sure, sure. Uh, I think third chamber, we need to talk about uh, quarterback play. Okay. The XFL. All right, let's do that. Chamber number three is going to be about quarterbacks, and that chamber starts now. Where do you want to start? Uh, let's start at the very beginning with Cardell Jones. I think he's, he's probably the biggest name uh, other than Landry Jones for uh, for quarterbacks in the XFL. Uh, Cardell Jones looking like an early MVP candidate. Uh, top top of the league right now as far as you know passing wise stuff like that. Great vision on the field. Mm-hmm. He's looking like he looking like he's back at Ohio State. You know, running over uh, Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game, taking them to a championship. Uh, so you know he's he's really been he's been great for uh, for the DC defenders and really taken control of that team. Well, what's interesting is they they go by the nickname defenders, but it's been their offense that's been carrying them the first couple of weeks. And it, it, credit where it's due, you know Jones has already thrown for 511 yards in two weeks, which is just ridiculous numbers. I mean, you, you take a look. We, we were talking about how Landry Jones has put himself in the top five already with 305. At number four, you got Brandon Silvers with 308. So it's a very, very slim margin between those two guys. And Silvers has had two games to work with. 
Yeah. And then you take a look at P.J. Walker, who has just been throwing it all over the field for the Roughnecks. He's got 442 yards on the season already. Very short season, but 442 yards over two games is pretty good. And here's the surprise for me. St. Louis's Jordan Tomlin, 493 yeah. over two weeks. He was keeping up with Walker stride for stride in that last game. And he's sitting there at the number two spot behind Cardale Jones. So the top five quarterbacks that we've got stat-wise, as far as passing yards go, it goes Jones, Tamu, Walker, Silvers, and then just three yards behind him after one week of play, Landry Jones. And, I mean, that's just, like we said earlier, testament to Landry Jones is the mm-hmm. player he is. And that, I'm telling you, he's, he's still got it. He, he, it he was does. his first week back. He, he needs to get back in the rhythm. But he can definitely dominate this league. And I think he will dominate this league. Um, yeah, my surprise, yeah, to, to Amu is out of nowhere. I mean, he, he had a good first week, um, you know, and led the, the Battlehawks to a win against the Renegades. But, you know, this last week, he he poured it on in the second half. That first half, he did not look comfortable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, credit the Roughnecks defense for that. But he, he came out of that second half with his pants on fire. He he, he was slinging the rock. And so, uh, you know, and anytime you have a quarterback who's not afraid to sling the rock, not afraid to make, he made some tight throws too. He did. So, some, some NFL-type throws, if I if I say so myself. Ooh, bold so, take. Yeah, very bold take. But, uh, no, he's, he's, he's my surprise of the, uh, of the year so far for the XFL. He's go, he went 30 for 37 for 284, three touchdowns, but two picks against Houston in that game. I think those both came in the first half. True, true. Walker went 20 for 31 for just 170 yards. So Tomu actually put up plus 100 passing yards against Houston's defense. And to me, that poses a problem. Because if Tomu only threw for about 200 against Dallas's defense in week one, but put up almost 300 against Houston's, to me, that's an indicator that Houston's defense is vulnerable against the pass attack. And what is Dallas's offense supposed to be known for? Nothing but the pass, baby. Nothing but the pass. I'm just telling you, if that's what we're seeing from players like Tamu, what can we expect from somebody like Landry Jones? Probably 400 yards. That's that's <laughs> that's, a, that's a hot take, it, but I mean, you know, I, I I could see him doing that. He had 300 last week. I mean, it's it's not entirely out of the question. And like you said, he had a little bit of a slow start, but finished it 28 of 40 for 305. Had a long of 39 yards, and I believe that 39 went to Crockett. But he also had a pass of 29, a pass of 16, a pass of 17, and another pass of 17. So he he had completions, one, two, three, four, at least five completions of 15 yards or more. And that is something that we did not see in week one from Philip Nelson. No, we did not. And honestly, looking at those stats, I'm a little sad. that I don't see a, I don't see a boy heard on there. That's true. <laughs> That's a little sad. Yeah, he was really relegated to mostly just the, the returns. Kind of a special teams, special teams type guy. of role. But the, the interesting thing is, with this new wrinkle of two forward passes, Hurd's experience as a quarterback... I don't know, why haven't I used something like that yet? It's given me reason to think that they might be saving it for a rivalry game or something. Oh, maybe perhaps March 1st against Houston I'm starting at Globe to, Life Park? I'm starting to think. Oh. If he's if he's got that possibility, you could do a wide receiver screen out to Hurd, send one of his blockers out long, and be able to just do a jump pass to Parham or something, get 20 on him when they're not expecting it. We're going to be at that game, and if that actually happens, I might cry tears of joy. <laughs> just to see Hurd back at, back at quarterback... Quarterback to be slinging it like that <laughs> would be, like that. Would be, be really cool. Oh, man. That would be really cool to see. But I mean, that's that's the beauty of having players like like Hurd and like Bidette is they're playmakers anytime they've got the rock. Yeah. Lance Dunbar has that same capacity. He's got that same potential there. He was targeted six times, had five receptions for 34 yards, and then he had six carries for another 42. So I mean, you're giving the man 60, 70 yards per game. That is excellent contribution. That is very, very solid. It's nothing to be sneezed at. Artis Payne gets a lot of the credit because he was averaging seven yards a carry and had two touchdowns. But the ability to spread it out like that is one of the things that I think makes Dallas so dangerous. Now, before we get out of this uh, segment, Zach, I have a, I have a take. Uh, Bring it on. Or not, not really a take, but a question. I have a All question. Right. All right. So, Zach... We see the level of quarterback play outside of three, four guys. Not great. 
Mm-hmm. It's not good. Mm-hmm. The XFL, you know, pays their players. Granted, it's not, you know, NFL standards. It's not NFL numbers, but they pay them. What is your thought? And you can rip me up if you want. I don't care. We're all friends here. Mm-hmm. What is your thought about if college, if the NCAA doesn't pay their players, if mm-hmm. people want to make money, mm-hmm. do you think some high school quarterbacks, I'm not all of them, because some of them really need some development, but mm-hmm. look at – Trevor Lawrence. Right. To the impact he had as a freshman. Right. Look at several other freshman quarterbacks in the past. Sam Bradford. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Colt McCoy. He was pretty good as a we're, freshman. Not the best, but I mean, you. you we're going to stay in the Big 12 here in case you had noticed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stick with what you know. Uh, but, but some of these freshman quarterbacks that come in and make an impact right away, mm-hmm. do you think they could do that in the XFL? Oh, man. That, that, that's a tough one because I, I really do think that there are some good defenses in this league. And it, it would definitely be interesting to see what an 18, 19-year-old would be able to do against defenses with players that are in their mid to late 20s. 30s. In their 30s, trying to get back into the NFL. Like it, it's, it's a very interesting medium where you've got players from, from one end of the spectrum and the other end trying to figure out a way to make it work. I think somebody like Trevor Lawrence would be able to do it. So he's he's a once in a But he is talent. he is one of those once in a blue moon yeah. lottery picks. I uh, I I think if if he hadn't gone off the deep end, you might have been able to get that kind of contribution from somebody like Johnny Football. Oh yeah, no, I agree. I, I, agree. I, I think you've got ballers and playmakers like that that could do something like that. But I think the problem is it sets a very unfortunate precedent for the NCAA. For you to try and recruit somebody to your school, try and get a two, three, four-year commitment out of them, and then you have the option of just throwing it around for two, three thousand yards, and then potentially try and go to the XFL, see what you can do there. Like, I think it would change the entire dynamic of football as we know it, and I don't say that lightly. Right. I, I I'm definitely not trying to say that lightly. I think it would change football as we know it if players were able to leave college early and go to the XFL because the XFL basically becomes what the MLB's minor league system is. Yeah. You know, you could get drafted at any point when you're playing college ball. You can get drafted out of high school for crying out loud. Yep, yeah, you can. And you just start playing minor league. You're developing your skills until somebody at the big leagues is ready to call you up. If you play one and done at NCAA football, go to the XFL, and all of a sudden you're tearing it up there too like P.J. Walker is, Yeah. then all of a sudden – Instead of waiting three years to get a maybe to be drafted in the NFL, you could go get noticed in the XFL. You go get noticed at the NCAA level for one year. You go get noticed at the XFL level for one year. Your contract gets picked up by the NFL, and you're practicing on a practice squad for the NFL before you're even supposed to be done with your college, college. time. Yeah, that, and that that would, like you said, change the whole game. It um, would. But like, I, I'll agree with your point. Yeah, a thirty-year-old versus an eighteen-year-old. We all know who's going to win that matchup. I I really feel like that is the the biggest difference is the maturity level that you can yeah. see on display in the first couple of weeks of the XFL. These players are here with a purpose. They're not here just because it's spring ball. They're here with the purpose of trying to get noticed by scouts and get into get the chance. NFL. At least a chance. At least even a even a chance, a tryout, just an opportunity to do something. And when you've got that kind of fix, when you've got that kind of focus, I really feel like there's a potential for an older, more experienced player to take that out on an 18, 19-year-old kid. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, his dreams of playing in the NFL get sidetracked because of an injury that he took in the XFL from somebody that's older and bigger like that. Yeah. So I think it's possible, but I don't think it's probable. I don't think it's something that the XFL is likely to do for player safety reasons, which, I mean, they're all about player safety. The the whole changing the kickoffs and things like that. Like, they are trying to find ways to keep their players safe. And from a safety perspective, I just don't know if that is something that would be sustainable in the long run. Okay. I, I respect that. I kind of agree with you there. So. I mean, that... That that's just where I'm coming from. I was from. just curious. I think I a question. I, I think the other thing too is I might be saying that a little bit out of spite because here I am in my mid to late twenties. 
And I'm just sitting here going, <laughs> no, I don't want some green kid fresh out of high school making it to the NFL before he's 20. Screw that. <laughs> Pay your dues, kid. Pay your dues. Pay your dues like anybody else dues. does in their I, industry. If I, if I had a nickel for every time I heard pay your dues, yep. oh, man, fraternity life, man. Yep. That, well, still, I'm still in debt. <laughs> <laughs> you're still paying those dues. You're still paying dues. You graduated and you're still paying it. That's the way it goes sometimes. But What do you think? Jump into section four? We got, well, a, pretty, I, we got a pretty fire guy here for uh, the player profile. We we do. We do. I do have one question for you on the topic of quarterbacks. Okay. Really quick, though, before we go to that. All right. Who would you think is the biggest disappointment biggest at quarterback so disappointment. far? Disappointment. Well, as a Texas fan, seeing Cornelius stink and thinking back <laughs> to that, that night <laughs> at homecoming and – no, why couldn't you have stunk there? And why did you stink on the two-point conversion trying to get to the end zone against OU? Could have ruined their season. And mm-hmm. maybe, you know, saved them from the bloodbath that was the Orange Bowl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's a you know just a fun little disappointment for me. But as far as, you know, everyday starting quarterbacks, I'd say the biggest disappointment for me so far would probably have to be just McGloin. You know, he was he was a good player at Penn State, mm-hmm. and he's now and he had a good first week, and maybe decent. maybe it's yeah. a character disappointment. I'm more disappointed mm. that he didn't own up to That's his good. bad play. That's good. And in, I can't respect the guy who's not gonna you know take take responsibility for his bad play. I'm I'm an athlete. Well, I'm an, I was an athlete. Look at me now, folks. I am not an athlete. Okay, <laughs> I have enjoyed take I enjoyed a good, college. Long look at <laughs> take this. a good take a good long look. It's not pretty. Uh, but you know, him, you know, as, as being a former athlete and you don't want a guy that's going to complain, right? You don't want a guy that's going to make excuses and he was making excuses. And, you know, I, you know, sometimes think the ball didn't roll my way, especially on the mound. But, you know, I, I would, you know, instead of complaining, I'd, you know, all right, you know, buckle down next pitch, let's go. And that's the the G rated version of what I said to myself. (laughs) Um, but, uh, you know, I don't respect the guy who doesn't take accountability yeah accountability is the number one important thing you need especially when you're a quarterback and your play defines the offense right right i i I would i would echo that and just say that uh the 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 disappointing factor is that he disappointed on the field and disappointed off the field yeah but it's also rather unfortunate that aaron murray is suffering such yeah a, a start to the season as well like, he was just completely out for last week's game. Yeah. Just completely out due to injury. And I'm not going to say he's a disappointment because of injury. No, no, yeah. no, no. I would I would never say that. I, I would never, like, wish ill on a person like that. It's just unfortunate because he was expected to be the face of that franchise. Right. He, he was expected to be their guy. He was expected to be their Landry Jones. And so far, they have really not gotten the return on the investment that they hoped for. And that... That that makes me sad for the Tampa Bay fans because they deserve competitive football. Yeah. Especially after what the Bucks put up <laughs> last season. Yeah. They deserve to have some competitive football being played at Raymond James. Jameis Winston, 30-30 season. Famous Jameis. Famous for all the wrong reasons, unfortunately. Oh, very wrong. But uh, I would like to see him have a bit of a rebound. I would I would hope to see something productive out of out of him at some point. But it's just it's disappointing that this is what it has come to at this point. Gotcha. Um, okay, so here we come now for our player profile. As you before mentioned, it is time for chamber number four. And chamber number four, as we mentioned, is a player profile. And we talked about Landry Jones on last week's episode. Uh, looked at the offensive side. Looked at the very first player to be confirmed to be joining the XFL. Um, but you know, the other side of the ball deserves a little bit of love and a little bit of attention too. defense wins championships, Zach. offense wins games, defense wins championships. Totally agree. And so this week, our player profile is on number 28, Josh Hawkins. And he's been a little bit of a ball Hawk, if you will. And he's kind of designated himself this no fly zone, if you will. And he's, I'm pretty sure he's the guy that has been lining up against the number one receivers. Yes, yeah. He, he's, he's been the guy that's been going up against the ones uh, for the other side of the ball. And if we're being totally honest, aside from, like, Nelson Spruce in last week's game, 
receivers have not really done a whole lot against this Dallas secondary. No. Tomu only got uh, 200 yards total in last week's ballgame, 209, I believe. And then you take a look at the numbers from Johnson. He only had 196. So Dallas is averaging only about 200 yards through the air for an entire ballgame, which is really, really solid. And I think a lot of that is thanks in part to the work of one Josh John- Josh Hawkins. I almost said Johnson there. I almost oh, Josh, Josh Johnson. No, that's the quarterback. That's, a, that's, a, that's the wrong guy. Yeah, that's the wrong guy. Got to be careful with that there. There are multiple Joshes there's in a, this league. There's a lot of Joshes. And I know a lot of Joshes personally. Using right. using the name Josh, yeah. you can be talking about anybody. <laughs> Zach, look, I'm just joshing you, man. Uh, <laughs> problem, problem is, you know this fella. There is a, a Josh that works at our alma mater. And, I do. I do know that Josh. And uh, apparently... He and I bear a somewhat uh, striking resemblance. I can see it. I can see it. Like, I was the PA guy for a playoff basketball game at UTA. Yeah, that was the neutral site between Dallas Carter and Kennedale, I believe. And I was calling the game. I was having a lot of fun. And <laughs> I got feedback from my supervisor. People that were, like, on staff covering the game noticed, like, my energy and stuff. And they would come up to him and be like, man, Josh is on fire tonight. <laughs> I was like, not Josh, it's it. Like, no. <laughs> and then at one point, um, there was there was a uh, suit-making company that set up the entire basketball team with um, dinner jackets yeah. that were royal blue that had the UTA logo in the yeah, lighting. Yeah, I remember those. Those were fire. And we, Josh and I both wore our suits to senior night one year. And he was calling the game. I was on the floor managing stuff, doing production for the halftime shows and stuff. At the end of the game, this season ticket couple came up to me and told me how much they love listening to my broadcasts of the basketball game. Your broadcasts were really good, Zach, I got to say. They They were very good. They were awesome. They love that I travel with the team, and they loved how enthusiastic I am and how much I love the school and how evident that is in every game that I call. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, man. Oh, oh, man. And I just nodded my head and <laughs> smiled and gracefully said thank you. I knew they were season ticket holders, and I'm like, hope you get season tickets next year. Which, by the way, I am now officially a season ticket holder for the Dallas Renegades. I made it officially official yesterday. Talked with somebody named Matthew who got me hooked up. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to be going to all four home games for the remainder of the year. I'm excited. That's a plug. You guys should all go get season tickets. Yeah. Four, four home games and what? You're only, you're, it's only like 30 bucks a game, and they're good seats. They are. The old Section 30 of the ballpark. So if you know where that is, first baseline, about the 20-yard about, about, about line. 20-yard line. 15-yard line. Around the, around the 15, I think. Yeah. I'm, I was in Section 27 or 28 for the last game. Yeah. And so that was pretty much behind home plate. Right. But when you're looking at the field, it's kind of at an angle from yeah, the end zone yeah, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. So you move me a couple of sections over, and it should be around the 10 or 15 or so, and it's about 25, 26 rows back. So that should be a really nice view for the entirety of the field. Um, I'm, I'm jealous. I wish I could uh, get season tickets, but I work weekends. Yeah. The way, the way it works. <laughs> uh, but let's get back to our topic at hand here. Josh... Yeah, Josh Hawkins. Hawkins. That's supposed to be our player profile. We were talking about me. We were talking about all kinds of other things outside of him. It's all good. He he played, uh, I think, three seasons, the 2013 through 2015 seasons at at East Carolina. And then uh, after 2015, he got uh, picked up by the Packers. He played for the Eagles for a time. Kind of an NFL journeyman playing on different practice squads and such. But uh, saw some playing time in the preseason with the Packers a year or two ago. Yeah. But his his real numbers come from his college years and how he's trying to make a name for himself based on that, based on what he's doing in the XFL to try and get to the next level. It's a really great story. And honestly, you look at his stats here from ECU, you know, eight interceptions for his career, uh, forced to fumble, you know, 126 total tackles, 82 of them solo. So mm-hmm. that's just him and him and the offensive guy. Yep. Uh, these are pretty solid numbers. These are numbers that I could see possibly late round draft pick. Could now, be. what hurt him and what is great about the XFL is it gives these people who who went to these smaller schools. Yep. ECU. The only way I, I hadn't even heard of ECU until I saw We Are Marshall. 
And that's the, <laughs> and that's the team they, they lose to before, you know, the plane goes down. And so, right, right. And so you know, just I had never heard of them. And now, oh, yeah, Eastern Carolina. And I think also, uh, you know, Mr. Beast on YouTube, I think he's an alum from oh, Eastern really? Carolina. Yeah. Oh, really? Like they filmed a couple of videos. Fun oh, fact. how about that? Fun fact. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, his stats are good. He just went to a small school. Um Maybe a little undersized, 5'10", 185. Uh, I mean, a little bit, but I mean... Not, not terrible. Not terrible. You, 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 it gives you versatility. It gives you that speed to be able to keep up with you know, the, the speed that you see in the XFL. Yeah. I mean, there are some really speedy receivers out there. Spruce? I mean, I'm guessing, I'm guessing he got past him on that one touchdown. Yeah. But, I mean, aside from White that... White guy can fly, man. He, that, <laughs> that's a rarity. That's actually pretty rare. But the, the interesting thing is he... Uh, it's it's sometimes hard to take a look at those kinds of stats and be like, okay, this is X, Y, Z, what he was able to do. You've also got to take a look at how many incompletions there are. And that's just not like a tangible stat. But if the ball gets deflected or if it gets overthrown or if the guy gets targeted and he drops it, like those are all things that he's responsible for. Right. It's his defense. It's his ability to make sure that the other team is not getting the ball and getting upfield. That is the thing that really personifies a cornerback is not necessarily all the interceptions that you get. If you get a pick, great. It means you were playing the ball well enough to be able to do that. But your first priority is to make sure that the top receiver isn't getting the ball on a regular basis. And so far through two weeks, Hawkins has been able to prove that, showing that this really is a no-fly zone, as he puts it on his Twitter page. Yep. He, I think his Twitter handle is 28 degrees or something yeah, like something that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's pretty 28 it's pretty degrees, fire, and, 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 he's, <laughs> and he's saying this is a no-fly zone. You yeah. can try and throw it my way, but you're just going to get it shot down. Yeah. And he's been proving that so far in these first couple of weeks. Um, I look, think I think he's one of the best defensive players in the league, honestly. And that take, hot take, I, I he, he looked good, and then all, all that happened was that screws got behind him. And that happens. All it takes is a slip. A it's slip. Just, and... It, a receiver can get behind just you. once that's all it takes but i think the cool thing about his approach to the game is even if it happens once he's going to do everything in his power to make sure it doesn't happen a second time so you can have a guy get by him one time but he's probably not going to get by you a second time no no i agree so josh hawkins number 28 be sure to keep an eye out for him as a playmaker for the renegades in next week's game and that'll bring us to one of our next segments. It's time for chamber number five. Chamber number five. Excuse me, I dropped my pencil here. For those of you watching the live stream. Chamber number five is just scouting next week's opponent. And that's going to be a game at Century League Field against the Seattle Dragons. As we mentioned, they took care of business against Tampa Bay last week. But if I'm being honest, it wasn't because of the quarterback play. Take a look at the numbers for Brandon Silver. 7 of 18 for 91 yards, and 68 of those were on a touchdown pass to Keenan Williams. Yeah. So 68 of your 91 yards come on one play, and the rest of the game, you're getting what? Is that 33 yards or something like that? Something like that, but, I mean, look at just the scoring. I mean, it didn't even really kick off until... The second quarter, and that was a field goal from the Vipers, and then they went in leading three nothing. Twenty three. Excuse me. That's that's my communications major math working on me there. Math. You got you got Who 60, needs it? 68 yards on one play, and then twenty three yards for the rest of the like, ball game. Of the ball game. Of the ball game. Twenty three yards passing for all the rest of the ball game, outside of that one touchdown to Williams. And for being completely honest, Seattle. Wasn't looking good, especially in the beginning of the they third look, quarter. They, they looked vulnerable. Uh, Silvers had an interception. Hey, if you want to add this, he, he threw an interception for 78 yards and a touchdown. <laughs> you want to add that <laughs> to his stats? <laughs> and that, you know, the Vipers took a 9 nothing lead there. Now, credit, credit, you know, uh, San Diego. What am I thinking? Why? AAF? I, Maybe man. I want to be there right now. It's cold. It's raining outside. I want to be in San Diego. You know what's funny is I've been seeing a lot of Hulu commercials that are telling me to travel to San Diego. And I'm just taking it as a sign. I'm like, okay, that's that's where my next vacation spot's going to be. San Diego. I'm going to Coronado Island, baby. I've been there before. I loved it. I want to go back. 
Um, but yeah, I do miss the San Diego Fleet. That was a kick-ass name. That was a good name. That was, that was a kick-ass name. Good. And and uh, their rivalry with the San Antonio Commanders yeah, was was, was really starting to pick up, especially after that hit that was leveled in yeah. week one. Yeah. That was like the thing that made the Alliance on the map. And interestingly enough, there is a um, Alliance alumni playing for the Dragons. Running back Kenneth Farrow was the primary running back for the San Antonio Commanders, and he's seeing some reps with the Dragons now. He uh, he put up 45 yards on the ground, as did his running back counterpart Trey Williams, so they combined for 90 yards on the ground, 21 total attempts. They were getting the ball moving. and yeah, they were. It, it's, it's, it's interesting to look at. Um, just how things went in that ball game because there's there, there really wasn't as much scoring as I was expecting. I'm sure they came way below the the over. Oh, oh, way, way below. If you had the over, I am so sorry. You should have known that was dead by the middle of the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they they were down nine nothing. They get a touchdown. Silver's the deep pass to Reynolds for sixty eight yards. Like we mm-hmm. talked about. Mm-hmm. They don't get the uh, conversion, but then uh, they get a, uh, an interception. Return for a touchdown. Pick and six. It, it was a pick six by the big boy Frazier, uh, defensive lineman, because he they were uh, the Vipers were deep in their own territory, and he just, and he went, just went up, up went up, just got it, grabbed it at the one, and, and I think just, he just he fell into the end zone. It was not even you didn't have to be you didn't have to work very hard. There was, just there was get very, up, grab and go. Very little effort. You just just grab it, hold on to it, and fall down. And he like yeah. fell into the end zone, but that was that was the kind of a slugfest that we got from these yeah. two teams and. I don't know. I, I still don't know. It, it, it's too soon to tell. But I don't. I, you've only got two weeks to work with. Two weeks of material to work with. Right. But I can't tell yet if that is a sign of a good Seattle defense, or if this type of slugfest was because these Vipers were stink. <laughs> well, both of them kind of stunk. Let's yeah. be honest. If the Vipers can get out to a nine nothing lead against you, yeah, you're kind of stinking too. Let's be honest. <laughs> if the Vipers can go up on you by nine. What for the what kind of what kind of a deficit? I'm being honest here. Yeah, what kind of a deficit are they going to face against Dallas if they can't get their rear in gear? If the Vipers can put up nine against them, that's three field goals. That's three close, but not quite. If Dallas is able to finish the job two out of those three times, they get a field goal the other time. All of a sudden, it's seventeen nothing. Yeah. Instead of nine nothing. Yeah. And I really believe that Dallas with Landry Jones has the ability to finish better than they did with Nelson a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And if they're able to do that and get out strong on a good start against Seattle, I don't know if the Dragons have the firepower to keep up consistently. You got that one big hit for 68 yards, but that was it. That and your pick six at the one-yard line was pretty much all of your offense right there. Two, yeah, that was two big it. plays gave you 14 out of your 17 points, basically. And... I just don't know if those quick hits are going to be enough to keep up with the momentum that I feel like Dallas is gaining. It's going to come down to, does Seattle come out at the gate and just lay it as hard as they can on the Renegades? Mm-hmm. If they come out like they did against the Vipers, you're right. They are not going to go anywhere. They're going to find themselves in a hole early, and then they're going to have to climb out of that hole. And it won't be a 9 nothing hole. Because right. the Renegades' offense is a lot better than the Tampa Bay Vipers. Right. So... It'll come down to whether they come out. It'll come down to how well Silver's plays when they do get the ball. Because now he's got to deal with you know our guy Josh Hawkins, no right. fly zone. Right. And that Renegades defense is pretty stiff. I'd say it's it, – I don't know exactly you know where they rank in the uh, defensive categories. Let me look it up there, here. There's really not – there's not like very many team stats on the XFL yeah, website. Not, it's, not a lot. It's, no. more, it's more individual stats. And there are some pretty cool individual stats – for uh, for these renegades, I mean, uh, if you if you take a look at uh, we talked about Landry Jones, Cameron Artis Payne is now the number four rusher in the league with 105 yards. Um, Matt Jones from St. Louis is number one, but Austin McGinnis is tied for first in field goals made with five. Our king, and Drew Galitz is second in the league, averaging 45.3 yards per punt, which is pretty dang impressive. Yes, it is. And goes back to the prediction that I made earlier that special teams is going to be a big surprise for these Renegades. Yep. If they weren't getting that those those couple of field goals that they needed in that ball game against LA, it might be a different ball game. Being able to to finish like that and be able to put points on the board 
being able to pin your opponent deep, averaging 45 yards a punt, I really feel like special teams is going to be a clincher for them eventually. That, that when it was a one-point game, I was sitting there going, holy shoot, I was not expecting that prediction to come yeah, true exactly. in the second week of action. But right. Landry Jones finished the job. He, he got them back in the end zone one more time. But I really do feel like the special teams unit is going to be able to do something special eventually. It could end up happening in Seattle. It could. It, it's it's definitely a possibility. It's no, it's no secret McGinnis is the best kicker. Uh, you, Jay Novak, that, who I thought would be a lot better, has missed a couple kicks now. Yeah. And McGinnis still perfect. You know, knock on some wood. But I mean, right. Uh, you know, I, you're right. The special teams for Dallas is phenomenal, and that's that's just as important as a good offense and a good defense. I think Dallas is one of the more complete teams. They just have to find the rhythm, and I think they found it in that second half. And if they can continue that into Seattle. Man, this this these lines that they posted for the game. Mm-hmm. Man, I can't it's, wait. Let's give my I can't wait to give my prediction. This uh, will be good. It, this it'll be really fun. Uh, another quick hit, real quick. Seattle only put up 199 yards of offense last week against Tampa Bay. Yeah. <laughs> 100, 199 yards of offense on 51 offensive plays. They averaged under four yards per play. Not four yards per carry. Four like if, if it's four yards per carry, right. then that's pretty decent running attack. Right. Like you Not can bad. you can run it three times. You got a first down every time you're running it. It's pretty good. Three point nine yards per play. Not good. Three, Not good at all. I mean, their their third down efficiency. They were two for ten, which. I mean, I'm 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 not gonna say that Dallas did any better. They were only three for seven on third down against LA. Right. I really think that it could end up being a game of downs, based on what we saw from both teams last week. Okay. If it, it's gonna be about how well you can convert on third down in this ball game, if Seattle was two for ten and Dallas was three for seven, then I think that might be pretty telling as far as how things could end up going. In uh, in this next ball game, it's really it's really interesting that Tampa was able to put up 289 yards against them, but they still only got nine points out of it. Yeah, I think that could end up being a testament to Seattle's red zone defense. And okay. and as and as we know from week one, Renegades not they've had some, some trouble. trouble. Some struggle, Matt. There have been some struggles. Some struggles, but they also didn't have Landry Jones week one. This is true. They looked a lot better in the red zone this last week. This so, is true. So I'm not going to, you know, throw up the caution flag. I'm not going to start freaking out. I'm going to wait. We'll figure out this game, I think, in the first quarter. I don't think it's going to be like these games like this last week where it was, you know, first first half was, who, who are they even playing? Like, what's going on? Where's right. the offense? Right. I think this week, I think especially for the Dallas-Seattle game, excuse me, the first quarter is going to be – a huge deciding factor as to how this game's going to play. Oh, wow, I'm burping. Oh. You're all right there. I'm all right, man. Maybe a little heartburn. Hang, you know, hang a little in there. digestion. Hang in there, bud. Abysmal. But, uh, uh, you know, it's going to come to – the first quarter is going to be a huge indicator on how this game's going to go. I don't think it's going to be like I said last last couple weeks where it's been first half, blah, second half, wow. Right. So. I, I would hope so. Because if Dallas was able to pick it up in the second half and put up 300-plus yards of offense, most of it coming in the second half, if we're being honest, yeah. this could end up being the game where we finally see 400-plus yards of offense out of this team. Right. And that was kind of what was pitched to us from the beginning. That was what we were expecting to see, you know, even in week one. And now that they have kind of found their groove with Landry Jones, I agree with you. I think this could lead to something special. And... As we mentioned before, there's also kind of some division bragging rights going on. Both teams coming into this game at 1-1. One and one. Yep. Both of them looking to try and keep pace with Houston. Both of them trying to make sure that you know they're not falling to 1-2 and two and end up in a hole going into their next game. And if we're, if we're going to look ahead just a little bit here, I mean, Dallas's game after this, they're going to be playing Houston on March the 1st. So if they can go into that game with a 2-1 and one record against Three and O Houston supposedly. I mean, let's let's hope for the upset. But hope I'm, for the upset. I'm not going to put a whole lot of faith in Tampa's hope, ability to upset Houston. Hope for the best, expect the worst. Actually, that's a motto I've lived by before. Yeah. Same man. Uh, <laughs> but we're going to assume for a moment that you go into that game at Globe Life Park with a two and one record after coming out of uh, with a victory against Seattle, and you're going into that game against. Currently undefeated Houston, 
You're going to have the home crowd back. You're going to have an in-state rival. You're going to have Landry Jones under center, barring some kind of injury. Yep. Mark it on your calendars, folks. March the 1st is going to be a game to try and attend, and it's sure as hell going to be a game to watch. Already on my ticket. We're good. We are good. But we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. we got to take a look at this, this week's week. game. This week's game against 1-1 one one Seattle on the road. We've already gotten a road victory. So we've proven that we can win on the road, but come on. It's Carson, California. Yeah. It was like sunny and 60, for crying out loud. Yeah. This is going to be a little bit different environment. It's Seattle. They had the largest attendance of any home opener so far with 30,000-plus people. We had 17,000-plus at our home opener. They had about 16,000, 17,000 out in L.A., this is going to be almost double that. Yeah. This is going to be almost twice as loud. It's going to be twice as raucous. And it's really going to be a testament to see how this team plays in a hostile environment and how they play on the road. I'm looking forward to it. Let's get into predictions. All right. Well, then it's time for the final chamber of the night. It is time for chamber number six. All right. So the line for this game, ESPN has Dallas as the five-point favorite, and you found the over-under to be 43-and-a-half. Is that correct? That is correct. Let me check. Yes, they also have the line at minus five. All right. We do not condone sports betting. You know, bet at your own risk. Just just one point that disclaimer out there. Yeah, yeah, you could end up <laughs> losing more money than you make. But, tell, tell me about it, Zach. But, I mean, I feel like there, there are a couple of things that are fairly certain within this ballgame. That's just me. But I feel like based on what we've got here, I still think, I still think, I'm going to hold true to this, I still think that having the line over 40 for these games is still a little high. I agree. I, I agree. Because outside of the Houston game, 28 to 24, there really weren't a whole lot of games that went with the over. So I'm not, I'm not sure what to expect from this one, but... I, I do think Dallas is going to cover. Okay. You got Dallas covering? How about, got, I'll put the over-under. I've got, I've got Dallas covering, and I'm I'm going to go with the under. I'm going to say Dallas's defense shows up because yeah. if we didn't get a whole lot of offense out of Seattle, we can get a lot of points and a lot of offense out of Dallas. I don't know if they're capable of you know 35-plus just yet. Right. We got 25 out of them, which right. was good, but if, if we're going to get to that 43-and-a-half, at least 31 of that, at least 31 to 35 of that's going to have to come from Dallas, I believe. Uh, yeah, I agree, and that's why I also have Dallas covering. I think they cover easily. Um, and if you took my bet, the house bet last week, you know, you're welcome because they did cover. <laughs> uh, and uh, I also have the under because you're right. I don't think Dallas can put that up themselves. I don't think Seattle is going to put up a lot of points against this defense. So if I had to go with a prediction for the score, I'm going to go uh, – Dallas 25, Seattle 12. 25 to 12. That 25 seems to be a popular number. They put up 25 last week. And I think and, I think and that would put it at 37, so that hits the under. It would it would it would put it at the under. Yeah. I gotta I gotta do math again now. I gotta <laughs> I got I gotta I gotta look at this and go, hmm. Well, if I say that the score is going to be like this, it's got to make sure that it doesn't go to 43 and a half. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I got, to, I got to look at this and I go. Know, I, I just had a little bit of a brain fart. Hmm. I was like, wait, 25, 12, 10, 12, 10, 10, 10. 25 plus 12, yeah. <laughs> I just say that. under and go over? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's my plight is I feel like it's definitely going to be under. I just don't know how under. Right. And that that's the tough thing. Based on what I've seen from Seattle's offense in the past couple of weeks, I don't know if I trust them to put up more than 14 or 15. I really don't see it happening. Mm -hmm. I really don't. So I think whew, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say they put up 13. Okay. I'm gonna say they put up 13 in this one. And I'll say 28, 31, 48. 41. Yeah, I'll go. No, there you go. I'll go, I'll, go, I'll go 28. So that, that holds the under. So you put them in at 25-12, I've got it at 28-13. I don't good. I don't expect them to actually get to 28 because these multiples of 7 are extremely rare in yeah, this league. Yeah, exactly. I'm not, I'm, I'm not expecting I'm not expecting like right at 28, but I'm thinking in the 27 to 30 region potentially. So I'll just I'll just ballpark it. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Sounds good. Well, uh, thanks for tuning in with us if you're watching on Facebook Live and uh, 
I know we said it was going to be shorter this week. Uh, a little bit. A little bit. But, a little uh, bit. Well, I mean, we got it up to uh, about 45 to 50 minutes, so we're keeping it under an hour. 50 minutes? Yeah, that's good. We're keeping it that's under an hour. That's very good. And, uh, you know, you're welcome, folks. And, uh, <laughs> what can I say except you're welcome? That was a great Fun fact, I watched the game plan today. Really? It was on Disney Plus, and I said, man, that's throwback. Dude, he had hair. Dwayne Johnson had hair. You're kidding. No way. I know. It was was crazy. But, uh, you know, and speaking of football, you know, we're going to look for this week. It's Mm going to be a great week of XFL football. Should be. Um, Dallas, I think, is going to end up 2-1. And And I think they're going to do it in convincing fashion at Seattle. But, uh, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. We will have to wait and see. Well, uh, until until then, folks. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to no, no, no problem. No problem. I wanted to take a look at what the entire schedule was just real quick so okay. people knew what to expect. Uh, coming up on week three of action, Houston is at Tampa Bay. Eesh. New York is at St. Louis. St. Louis is home opener. They've been on the road for two weeks. That dome is going to be packed. It's, it's going, going to be, to be rowdy. So they loud. are going. There's football in St. Louis again, folks. And I can tell you right now, as uh, as a, I'm friends with a guy who's a Battlehawks fan, and he was telling me, he said, you know, St. Louis, they love their football. They were mad when the Rams went home to L.A. So, uh, you know, they're, they're, they'll be there. They'll be loud, and the Guardians don't know what they're walking into. They really don't, and it, it's that, that should be Battlehawks all the way. Uh, D.C. is going on the road. They're going to be at L.A. for that game against the Wildcats. That'll be on the 23rd on FS1. The other Sunday game will be the Guardians-Battlehawks. Dallas is at Seattle for the 5 o'clock Eastern game on Fox. And then the other Texas team will be playing earlier in the afternoon on ABC. So that's week three of action. And I think that's it for our episode of Renegades Roundup. That'll do it for us here on Renegades Roundup. Until next week, race some hell. Yeah!